Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hello, hello. I'm Robin Goebel, and this is the Parenting After a Trauma podcast, where I'll be taking the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translating all of that for parents of children who have experienced trauma. This podcast was created to get you free, easily accessible support as fast as possible. So each episode is the audio from my weekly Facebook Lives with no fancy or time-consuming editing. Check the show notes for any links, downloads, or resources I mention. Thanks for inviting me onto your journey. I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm hopping on to chat with you about a concept that is underlying all of the work that I do, like uh, underlying like all the work I do professionally, underlying all the work that I do, like as I move through the world personally, and I got to tell you, it's really helped me get through the last uh, eight or nine months of this pandemic is this idea, this concept that no behavior is maladaptive, meaning all behavior is adaptive. Um, And you may be having the experience that I first had when I first heard the statement. I remember exactly where I was and I remember exactly who said it. It was who is now my mentor, um, Bonnie Badnock. And so I was in a conference ballroom. I was really far in the back. I was with my friends and she said, no behavior is maladaptive. And I remember just having this moment of like screeching to a halt, kind of like blink, blink. What do you mean? Because at that point in my career as a therapist, what I had been taught, what I thought I believed, and I thought it was a very compassionate belief, was that behaviors that were in maladaptive now, which were often the behaviors that were um, bringing kids and and adults to right clients into the therapy room they're they were maladaptive now but what was inherent in that statement was this understanding that they were adaptive at one time so there was this way that we were able to see these behaviors as kind of survival techniques or survival behaviors that absolutely had served the person at one time. They just were no longer serving them anymore. And that clearly, right, I say that out loud and it's like, well, that makes perfect sense. And that does feel like a really compassionate, um, curious lens to have towards people with challenging behaviors, the kinds of behaviors that bring people into the therapist's office. And so to hear Bonnie say there no behavior is maladaptive and Bonnie Badnock is, has now published several books 
in the field of the relational neurosciences and interpersonal neurobiology. I didn't know she was going to become my mentor, but she did eventually become my mentor and who I've really learned the most about the relational neurosciences from, you know, for her to make such a, like a powerful statement was uh, something I wanted to sit up and listen to. Um, and it really, really, really kind of ate at me. I went home that night and I called some friends and, and we talked about it for a while. Like, what do you mean no behavior is, is maladaptive? Um, so I've come to the point where I, I completely believe that, like I stand in no behavior is maladaptive in totality. Like I believe that in the depths of my soul and I wanted to kind of bring to you why, like, why do I believe that? What finally convinced me that that was true? And then why is it helpful? Like, why is it really helpful to believe that? So no behavior is maladaptive. What is underneath that is this understanding about like the relational neurosciences, the relational neurobiology of being human and what it means to be human is that in every moment, in every moment, what we're doing makes complete sense based on what our experience is in that exact moment. So the brain is taking in and processing information about our current experience and then, you know, micro moment to micro moment on unfolding micro moments, it's taking all this information in. And one of the primary things it's doing is deciding, am I safe or am I not safe? And it's doing this so quickly. It's happening at least four times a second, four times every second. The brain is asking, am I safe or am I not safe? And if the brain lands on safe, it allows our experience in that moment to move into behaviors of connection, behaviors of social engagement, behaviors of prioritizing relationship with ourselves or with others. True relationship with ourselves, not a protective relationship with ourselves. If the brain decides, again, four times every second, that's fast, um, not safe. Then the brain shifts into pat like patterns and, and behaviors of protection. So if we're safe, we are prioritizing connection. Connection is a biological imperative. I think, oh, you can't see it up on my wall over there. You can't see it in the way that it, my camera is set up right now. Um, but I have that in a frame. Connection is a biological imperative. Okay, so connection is a biological imperative. And if we're feeling safe, we're going to um, be open and available for connection and, and invite connection. We're prioritizing connection as humans. Connection is really quite essential to our survival. Um, but if we're feeling not safe, then we move into behaviors of protection. And it's these behaviors of protection that will keep people out of relationship with us or keep us out of relationship with other people, right? That, that makes sense. That's what the protection um, piece can mean. The thing that's really important to understand about this is that we, each of us, every single one of us, this is applies to all of us, adults, children, trauma histories, not trauma histories, right? 
in every unfolding moment, like we are, and I'm going to use co-creating our own experiences of reality. And I'm going to use the word co-creation to mean something really specific right now. Um, Co-creation means that my experience of reality, it's happening right now, right? As we're here live together, my experience of reality is co-created in my mind by everything that's like objectively happening in this moment. And all of the things that have happened in the previous moments of my life building, bringing me to this point. Is the way that our brain takes us and processes information, it's like these two rivers of information that flow in together to create one stream of our experience in reality, our subjective experience in reality. We're taking like the stream of the now, literally the objective data about what's just happening in the here and now, and it merges itself together in our in our brains with the stream of the past. Now, this is really important, right? Like if our brains weren't doing this, everything would be always new, right? We have to combine our now experience with a past experience or we would never, we wouldn't be able to do anything. I certainly wouldn't have been able to log on to this live. You wouldn't have been able to log on. You wouldn't have known how you wouldn't have even remembered it was happening. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, like we wouldn't know how to turn on the water to take a shower in the morning. We wouldn't remember how to drive. We wouldn't remember where we're going. Like we have to take our experience in the here and now and combine it with all our experiences in the past simply to, to get through the moments of life. This definitely also makes sense if we think about um, protecting ourselves, that humans ultimately, a a big goal of being human is, is to survive, like to make it to the next moment. And I want to lean into my past, like lean into experiences I've already had to inform me about what this experience in the now is. Like, what is this experience? What does it mean? And what's my best way to respond to it? Okay, so I want to be really clear this way that our brain combines the now with the past to create our subjective reality is fantastic. Like we need this. This is a part of the, you know, brilliance of being human. What can happen is that those streams don't always come in at the same rate. This is sort of how I think about it metaphorically, because obviously there's no rivers in our mind bringing information together. But I think about the rivers, these streams of information that if we've had experiences that we experience as traumatic or um, had an intense emotional charge with them, those experiences in the brain don't always get integrated in the brain the way that we want them to. They don't always get stored in exactly the way that is uh, like most, they just just don't get stored in this really integrated way. And this disintegrated way that these experiences are held in our neural networks, in our minds, in our brains, 
it's this, this disintegration that can cause these two streams to come together in these uneven way. So it's like the stream of the past floods in. It's like the tsunami in while the stream of the here and now is like this little trickle. It gets just completely flooded by the stream of the past. And so in these unfolding moments, and again, this is happening so quickly, so quickly in micro moments, this is happening. Our experience, our subjective experience of reality is our experience of reality. It is 100% our experience of what's happening in the here and now. It's also not maybe exactly what the other person experiences is right because it is subjective and it's because my past is helping me create my reality the same way as the other person I was with past is helping to create their reality. And so we are very possibly both having very different experiences of reality. That's important to keep in mind because how often, right, when our uh, our kids are reacting to something that we're kind of blown away by, you know, we're like, um, what, what, like, where did that come from? Or that's not what happened, or that's not what I said, or, you know, we're left really baffled and, 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 and scratching our head. And we tend to label that like, as if that wasn't what really happened, right? Like their reality wasn't real that, you know, and it's like, well, that's not what I did, or I didn't do that, or, you know, these other ways that we've experienced reality, reality, which is totally valid for us. But if we hold in mind the, tr- the, r- the truth that the, that the brain is always looking out for our best interest, always looking out for our best interest, scanning the environment at least four times every second to determine if we're safe or not safe, and then bringing together these two streams, the stream of the now with the stream of the past, to create our own subjective reality in the, in the moment, then all of a sudden it makes perfect sense to say no behavior is maladaptive. The behavior in that moment was perfectly adaptive given that person's neurobiology and what their experience of reality was. It just doesn't make sense for anything else to be true. Now, it could also make perfect sense that while that behavior was adaptive in that moment, given that person's experience of reality, it also could make perfect, you know, it could be totally true that that behavior has significant consequences, right? Or that behavior is preventing that person from other other important experiences like relational connection, for example. So by saying no behavior is maladaptive, I'm certainly not implying that um, that that makes it all working out for everybody, right? There absolutely can be pretty dire consequences, but we can hold both of those things to be true. Like we can hold the truth that no behavior is maladaptive with, and there are some really significant consequences or fallout 
to this behavior. Both can be true. We can really hold those two things together and practice sitting in what can feel like a completely contradictory um, duality. So let's talk about why. Like, why is this important? This no behavior is maladaptive mindset. Like, why, why is this important? The first reason it's important is because when we change how we see other people, when I change my beliefs about the person I'm with, and I change those beliefs from this person's overreacting, or this person's being manipulative, or this person just won't get over the past, right? If I can change those beliefs to this person's experience in reality in this moment and the, and the reality that their brain is, is co-creating in their own mind, that their experience of reality completely matches the reaction that they're having or the behavior that I can see, right? If I can change my belief about that person to this behavior must make sense, how I see that person changes. I stop seeing them as manipulative or overreacting or committed to never getting over their trauma or, um, you know, behaving this way on purpose to, um, you know, trigger me, right? I change my beliefs to this person's really struggling. This person's reaction must completely match their experience of reality. And wow, that's hard for them, right? And then when I change how I see people, first of all, that actually starts to change people. When we see people as struggling humans, just like everyone else, struggling humans, making their way through this, this mess that we call life, struggling humans doing the very, very, very best that they can, who sometimes now gets flooded by their past, right? I see that person as a struggling human who's always doing their very best instead of seeing this person with ultimately what can turn into like major character flaws or these like character assassinations we make about people. That really changes people because part of, especially kids, right? Although this is true for everybody, but as we're, part of how we're forming our sense of self is how we see ourselves reflected through the eyes of the other. And again, this is especially true when we're children and the eyes of the other are our attachment figures or the people taking care of us. Like we're supposed to trust them. We're supposed to rely on their experience and so if they see us as a struggling human instead of a liar or a thief or a manipulator, I become for myself a struggling human. And that opens up the possibility for change. So that's the first one, that changing how we see people changes people. But also, what happens to us? Like, what happens to us as the adults um, if we're in it with an experience with a child and we think to ourselves, no behavior is maladaptive. I don't understand why this child's acting this way, but I trust that it makes perfect sense based on what they're experiencing in this moment. You know what that does for me? That opens me up to compassion and curiosity. 
that pulls me out of reactivity, moves me into compassion and curiosity. Now, compassion and curiosity are not synonymous with um, like rolling over and just letting whatever bad behavior, you know, fly, right? They're not synonymous. And sometimes I think we think they're synonymous. Like if I can find my compassion for this bad behavior, I'm just going to let this behavior go and nothing will ever change. It's actually the opposite's true. What is a common byproduct of compassion is compassionate boundaries, right? So when I can stand really solidly in a place of, of, of compassion and curiosity, I can also stand really solidly in a place of having boundaries. And then what happens is because if my child is having a moment where the past is flooding their now, right? What that means is they're in a moment of some disintegration in their, in their neurobiology. And the antidote for disintegration, what the brain needs to prompt integration, compassion, truly like the neurobiology of compassion is the neurobiology, neurobiology of integration. It's the neurobiology of change. So this then becomes like a, almost like a, like a tool or a technique. I don't like to look at it that way because I think that starts to make it a little too performative, but changing how we see people and moving in standing in a place of compassion with boundaries means that we're standing in a state of integration and our children who are standing in a state of disintegration, which is where this behavior is coming from, get have their disintegration held in our compassionate integration. And that prompts changes in the brain. That prompts the integration. That's what we're looking for in order to help the streams of the past and the now come together with more accuracy. All right, I'm going to put into the comments here a couple more resources for y'all. I have a blog that um, also talks about this. No behavior is maladaptive. And I also have a free three-part video series about memory and memory integration that might if you're interested in this memory piece and how that's related to the idea that no behavior is maladaptive, you might like this video series and want to check it out. Now, again, I'm using a new streaming software I've never used before. I don't even know if those have gone into the comments, but if they haven't, when this is over, I will make sure I go and add these to the comments. Thanks for joining me today. This is um, something I'm hoping to start doing regularly, probably not on Mondays, but because we're in a holiday week, I decided to just go ahead and do this one on Mondays. So look for a uh, Facebook Live from me weekly, and I hope to see you around. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally. Someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, 
Not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.